Father, use me today, my words, my life, as a pointer to you. And may your spirit move in our midst. May the lives, the minds, the heart, and all of what makes up who we are be attuned to your spirit today, that we would know how and what to do to the service of your gospel and to elevate our lives into the fullness of what you have purpose and will for us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Three stages of faith. Let me talk to you about the gospel, but more specifically, God's need justice, the role of justice in creation. In the beginning, God says, let there be light. So all of creation was made by the word of God. And ever since creation, everything else had dependent and still continue to be dependent on the word of God. So God says, let there be light, and there was light. And until the end of creation, and beyond that, everything will be by the authority and the command of God's word. It has been centrality of creation, and it will be at the end of creation and into the new creation. For the word of God to be obeyed, there is something that's called the law. How faith comes into play. So there is the law, and the law has two aspects. There is the civil part, meaning what you must do to obey the law, such as when you go out there, get into your car, the speed limit says something, and if you go over the speed limit, then you have violated the law in principle. And then there is the justice part of the law, which is the thing that terrorizes you. So when you violate the law, the thing that makes you afraid is flashing lights behind your car. There is this fear that comes over you. The concept of being prosecuted is scary for us. Martin Luther says, this thing that terrorizes you turns you to the gospel. For those of you who have never experienced the terror of the law, you don't understand what I'm talking about. But if you do, you will know that it's terrifying to fall into the hand of an angry God. It is terrifying. So the law states that if you even look at a woman and have desire for her, then you have already violated the law. Some of you sitting there, huh, I have not. Jesus says this, if you even have a hint of hating anyone, then you are in danger of hell's fire. Now, how many of you have not hated anyone? So, the law tells you that it is terrifying to fall into the hand of God. See, here's the problem. Are you able to keep the law? Let's just make it simple. The Ten Commandments. Have any of you can confidently stand up and say, I have kept the whole commandment all my life? At least the part that you remember. And all my life until the end. 
that I will never violate any of God's law. Can you confidently say that? Anyone? Right. So no one can. So why did God create the law and no one could keep it? Why would he do that? Let me introduce to you the second dispensation. So God had two dispensations, the old and then the new. So the old tells you that this is what God expects you. This is how God expects you to live. If you do this, then you will be declared righteous. If you obey the law completely, then you would be declared righteous. Had anyone in the history of human being able to do that? Has anyone? Can you name anyone who had been able to keep the law perfectly? No one. No one. I lied. There was one. He was Jesus. You see, the law is not there in vain. There was someone who could keep the whole law. And that was Jesus. And through Jesus, the second dispensation of God was given to us. And that second dispensation is what I want to talk to you about today. And that is called the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the second dispensation that God has made for us. We cannot keep the law. And when you violate the law, the law says, if you violate any one tittle, meaning the smallest part of the law, then you are damned. You shall not kill. I hope none of you have killed anyone before. But if you do, you have not violated the law more than someone who have said something that was untrue. Same. Same punishment. If you violated one commandment, then you have violated all the commandments. Because the commandment is one. How do you get to obey the law perfectly without violating the law? You can't. And therefore, the second dispensation is there for you. And the second dispensation has a name, and that name is the gospel. And the gospel was fulfilled by a single person, and that person was Jesus Christ. Now, how did he do it? For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the image of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that you and I would be made the righteousness of God through Christ. For those who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Paul is telling us that Jesus Christ kept the law so that through faith in Christ, you would be declared righteous before God. How does that happen? Jesus does this by living a holy life. He did not violate any part of the law. And you say, not even one? Not even one. Jesus and his disciples walk into the field. They saw the corn. And then his disciples, or they picked the corn on the Sabbath and said, you work on the Sabbath. And therefore, you violate the law. How did Jesus answer that? What about the priests? in the temple, on the Sabbath. Are they violating the law? They work on that day for you all. And he said, 
there's someone here who is greater than the temple. He's not violating the law. And what about, what about paying taxes to, to Caesar? He did that too. He did not violate any law, and because he kept the law perfectly, he did not hate anyone. He did not think bad thoughts toward anyone. He did not look at a woman and have desire for her. Jesus did not violate any law, and therefore he kept the law perfectly. And because he kept the law perfectly, he is declared righteous. And because Jesus was declared righteous, then it is for him, before God, that he is just. And because he is just, then he has achieved glory. The way that you obtain the gospel is through faith in Jesus Christ. You believe in Jesus, who he was, what he's done, and how he will save you in the future. That is what the message of the gospel is. Now, let me give you another aspect of Jesus' ministry that will save you. Now, you say, I believe in Jesus. I believe in the gospel. That makes me pure from the point that I believe until the moment that I meet God. Well, then, there's another little problem with this theory. What about all those sins that I did before I believe? What happened to that? Hmm. Because when you believe in the gospel, from that moment on, you're clear. You're in the free. The gospel saved you. What about before that? Jesus did something else for you, too, through the gospel. You see, he not only kept the law perfectly, he had no sin, but then he was condemned to death, and he died. There is a second aspect of what Jesus did. And because he died as a righteous person, his death is now imputed to you prior to your faith in the gospel. So now you're clear in the future, and now you're clear in the past. Isn't that incredible? The gospel is not about making you feel good. The gospel is the truth of what Jesus has done is deeper than what you think or what you come to know. And when you appreciate the depth of the gospel and what Jesus has done, you will see this incredible truth. So Jesus not only fulfilled what God wants you to do, and you put your trust in him, and those things will be imputed to you as righteous. You are imputed, meaning God says that you are righteous not because of what you do, but what your faith in Jesus Christ made you righteous from now on. And then he also says that all of your passing, Jesus had already finished that work for you. And therefore, Everything that you did in the past, it is covered by the blood. Now, what is faith then? How does faith come in? Your faith is simply that you believe in the gospel. What does that mean? Okay, let me explain to you what that means. The gospel literally means good news. And when you have faith, there are four things that you believe. Number one, the story of Jesus Christ. Do you believe the story of Jesus Christ? Do you believe that he existed? Do you believe that he took on the form of man? Do you believe that? If you believe that, then that is the first part of your gospel faith. The second part is how the eternal Son of God, now this is important, the Word of God took on the form of flesh and became a man. Do you believe that? You see, I introduced 
this message by saying that the whole world was created by the word of God. The world continues to be moved and shaped by the word of God. And it is that word became flesh and dwelt among us. If you don't believe this, then you don't believe in the gospel. You must believe that the second person in the Trinity took on flesh and become Jesus Christ whom we know. If not, then I invite you to go down to Piedmont down here, to the Kingdom Hall. If you don't know what the Kingdom Hall is, it's Jehovah Witness. They don't believe this. The third thing is how Christ died for our sin. Or more specifically, Martin Luther said, how Christ, how Jesus died for me, pronobis, for me. This is very important. He did not die for everyone. He died for me. If you don't believe this, you don't believe in the gospel. And the fourth and last thing is that how he rose again triumphant over death. If you don't believe that Jesus rose again and now sitting at the right hand or standing at the right hand of the Father, then your faith in the gospel is incomplete. No work. Those four things. Now there are theologians in the near future, some of your churches that you go to, what they want to do is they want to chop off the first and last point that I should talk about. Let's not talk about Jesus' incarnation and let's not talk about Jesus' resurrection because those things are hocus pocus. If you take that out of the gospel, I tell you this and I guarantee you, you are not saved. The gospel must have the ascension of Christ and the descension of Christ. God taking on the form of man and God rising from the dead and going to, to God. If those things are taken out of the gospel, it is no longer the gospel. It has been bastardized. Those four things are the central tenet of the gospel. How do you have faith? Faith is believing in this. Faith is believing in the story. Faith is believing in Jesus, what he has done, and what he, who he was as a, the, the person. That is faith. If any of this element is missing from your faith, then you don't have the faith of the gospel. You have some kind of other faith. Faith is believing in the fullness of this gospel from beginning to end. Those four things that I talked to you about. That the righteousness of the law might be made fulfilled in us if you have this. Once you have this, you no longer walk in the flesh, but you will be walking in the spirit. Your life will change when you believe this. What is the promise of faith? The promise of faith in the gospel are three things. One, righteousness. Second, holiness. And third thing, eternal life. So once you believe this, then you have that promise. How do you get it? Three steps to attaining faith. Number one, from grief to grace. Okay, from grief to grace. Let's take a look at the story now. Luke chapter 5. And it came to pass... As the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their net. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed that him would thrust out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, meaning after he had finished, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep 
and let down your nets for a job. What's going on here is the story of what faith looked like. So Jesus is in Simon's boat, and he said, Peter, why don't you paddle out there and then let down your net for, to catch some fish? Listen to what Peter did. And Simon Peter answering and said unto him, Master, Lord, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. What is he saying? He's saying this, we've done this before. It no work. But because you said it, I'll do it again. Possibly in his mind, I'll do it again to show you that it won't work. Possibly he genuinely believed that he lets down the, the net again, he'll catch something. But let's just read it from the 21st century. I'll show you. I've done this before because you said it. You just taught the people, I don't want to embarrass you, but let me put down the nets again. And then I'll show you. We won't catch anything. There's no fish down there. Guarantee, no fish down there. So, contrary to what you have learned, faith has nothing to do with belief. It might have some overlapping shadow, but in this story, did Peter believe? He didn't believe. We did this already. I'm going to prove to you. There's nothing down there. Faith and belief are not the same thing. They might be related in some way, but they're not the same thing. What is required is faith to be saved. Belief is something else. We'll talk about belief. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, meaning they caught a lot of fish. And the net break. What is going on here? Lord, we did this already. I'm going to show you. There's nothing down there. And then they did it. And then they caught a lot of fish. And the net broke. When Simon saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, Lord. What is faith? What I believe faith is. True faith is the recognition of how sinful you are. That's faith. It is not mustering up your ability to conceive something that you can't see. That's not faith. Faith is recognize how horrible how ugly, how dark of a person that I am. That's faith. Do you have that? If you don't, question your faith. Because, you see, it's not that Peter believed in Jesus. It wasn't. He didn't believe. He said, you taught the people. I respect that. I'm going to do what you told me to do. But I don't believe that there's anything down there. But when things happen contrary to what he believed, he realized something. Oh my God. I can't believe this person anymore. You see, faith 
begins with your distrust in yourself. It begins there. Do you trust in yourself? Then you can't have faith. If you stop trusting in yourself, that is the beginning of faith. Faith is when you fall down and you say, Oh my God, what kind of person have I been? I'm nobody. I'm a wretched sinner. Martin Luther said this, The law terrorizes us, but the gospel gives us hope that even though we have nothing to offer to God, we recognize how abhorrent we are to God, and yet He still loves us. That is absolution. That's what makes you and I worthy. Because our worth is not defined by what you do. Our worth is defined by who you see yourself. Faith is when you say to God, just like Peter, you fall down on your knees and you said, God, go away from me. I can't be in your presence. I, I, I just don't know where to begin. That is faith. I can't be in your presence. Depart from me, O oh Lord. Depart from me. He's saying, I'm a sinful man. I'm, I'm not worthy for you to be. I, I'm worthy to be damned. Let me die. That's faith. That is the beginning. That is how you get the grace then to have faith, then to see something happen in your life. From grace, there's something that needs to happen. Once you come to the point that you fall down on your knees and you say, I'm unworthy, O God, depart from me. Then Christ will give you the grace, and from that grace, this is what happens, comes obedience. I'm no longer able to do what I thought that I'm capable of. A lot of people says, all you got to do is have faith. No. You need to fall down from where you are at, knowing that without the grace of God, we're nothing. Then God will give you the grace to have faith, and now you do the work. There are a lot of people that Jesus taught. He sat in the, in the boat and he taught a lot of people. But who were out there fishing? There are two boats, two groups of people out there fishing. They did it all night. It is not that your work God will use, but because you are willing to work and work hard. Peter says, we did it all night. The grace of God elevates that work to the next level. A lot of people will pray, God, please do this for me. I'm telling you, God is saying, no, you do it. I'll give you the grace to do it. God doesn't need to do anything. It is us that needs to do stuff for ourselves. If you're unwilling to put in the effort, the work, I will tell you this, your faith is in vain. It will die. 
Work and faith goes hand in hand. It is not your work that gives you the faith. It is the faith that gives you the work. And here's what happened next. The law of obedience. Peter is already a fisherman. He knows how to work hard. And when the gospel message comes and he believes in it, because he knows how to let down the net, he can catch the fish. You and I, we can come to God and we say that God would do everything. But Christ in you, working through you, that's how things get done, not absent from you. So the work of Jesus Christ will be done through you and I, not apart from you and I. We need to do the work. There are two kinds of work. There's work that is effective and there's the work that's ineffective. Let me talk about the work that is ineffective. The work that is ineffective is the work that Peter and his friends did all night. That was ineffective. What is the difference between what they did at night and what they did in the morning? Nothing. No difference. They did exactly the same thing. Peter says, Lord, we did exactly what you told us last night. It did not work. Did Jesus tell Simon at this point to do anything different than before? No. Is it work that produces miracle? No. It has to be something else. And what was different? The difference was the word that Jesus spoke. Do this. Whereas they did it last night, they did it without the word of Jesus. You can be doing exactly the same thing. But unless Jesus spoke over you, and that word produces faith in you, then the outcome of your work is ineffective. You won't catch anything. The difference is when Jesus spoke the word over you and you obey that word, you, do, you continue to do exactly the same thing, that work will now produce a miracle. So many fishes that the nets broke. Same work, no difference. It takes no additional skill. It takes no additional learning. Peter already know how to let down the net. You can be studying for the same test and you would be failing that test. Or you will be studying the same test and Jesus spoke to you and you obey him and you will pass. You do exactly the same work. The outcome would be different because of faith. Faith is when you obey God and that's called faith. When you obey the word of God, some of us will stop there. Fish, awesome. The church will be rich today. Let's get the fish up on land, call the other ship, come over. They haul the fish on land, and they're going to sit down, and they're going to divide the spoil, and then they're going to sell the fish, and they're going to build a couple of synagogues. Fortunately, that didn't happen. But for so many churches teach that, don't we? Guess what? If you have faith, God will make you rich. And then you can give to the church and ministry and mission and all this stuff. Really? But that's what we understand, isn't it? It's easy to convey that today. You know, if you have faith, God will do this for you, God will do that for you, you do all these things. It's so far from the gospel. Look what they did. The problem is that we think that we have faith and God will bless us, and that is the ultimate goal of what Jesus is here for. Jesus is here so that he can say the word 
and then I obey that word, and then we're going to catch the fishes, and that is the end goal. Fishes. Success is the end goal, isn't it? For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the drought of the fishes which they had taken. So was also James John, the son of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon, and Jesus said unto Simon. The difference between people who work began miraculously, plateau, and then begin to decline is what you're going to do right here. Jesus came to Peter, John, James, performed a miraculous work. They got a lot of fishes. If you believe this is the end, this is what God called you, then you will stay with your fish, you'll count them, you collect them, you sell them, and you build your empire. Remember when he fed the 5,000? What a miracle! They even have leftovers. When they collect the 12 basket full of food left over from the feeding, they were like, wow, this is incredible. We don't have a problem with food anymore, so maybe we don't understand this. Why don't we stay here? We got a lot of people here, and we built a church here. And what did Jesus say? No, this is not it. This is not why I'm here. We might think that, oh, Jesus blessed us because we have faith and then we reap the miraculous reward. This is it. This is it. But listen, fear not, Jesus says. From now on, you will catch men. But this is why I believe in the gospel. I don't care about fishes. When you catch fish, what happens to them? They die. But when you catch men, they live. If you stop and if you are dazzled by the miracle, and we all are dazzled by the miracles, but if you can't shake yourself from it and see and hear what Christ had in store for you, he said, eyes have not seen nor ear have heard, no mind have conceived the things that God had prepared for those who loved him. There's something that's greater. The gospel message is about something greater than dead fishes. It is about making dead people become alive for God. That is the gospel message. This is what makes the gospel so appealing to a few people because we're making people alive. We're not killing fishes. From now on, you are no longer fishermen. You will be fisher of men. God wants to make us not killers, but life makers. He wants us to be resurrectors, making people alive, souls alive. That's what God's intention is for the gospel. And so don't stop at the miracles. Don't stop when you see all the things that God has done for you and say, God, this is great. Listen. And when they had brought their ship to land, they forsook all and followed him. 
the outcome, the power of the gospel does this to you. When you got everything going for you. Look at these guys. They're gods. Look what they can do. Thank you, Jesus. We got it now. We're going to stick to this. And they did. When Jesus was captured, crucified, Peter said, who wants to go with me? Half the disciples went with him. And where did they go? They went back into their old profession. And then Jesus appeared to them again. Grace is unbounded. When Jesus appeared into our lives, when you have faith, then it's not the fishes. They forsook all, everything, and they followed Jesus Christ. We're excited, Lord. I'm excited to see what you are about to do in this generation. Father, I pray that the word of life will be spoken over them, that they will begin to see beyond all the glitter, all the miracles that they might be able to see with their eyes and attune their hearts and their soul to the reality and the purpose, the eternal purpose of the Son of God has called us into the glorious truth of raising men and women, lives and souls from the pit of hell into the glorious kingdom of God. Raise us up, O God, and make us and cause us to humble ourselves before you and that the charge of God will be evident and real in our lives and that we no longer see the things that we are good at the things that we are comfortable with and move beyond that and into the realm of eternity saving souls fishers of men the word of God has been spoken over us and it continues to be alive today in our soul. Propel us, Lord, beyond what we have been used to and into a new realm of possibilities. Amen. Mm-hmm.